Target practice. That's a term pretty well known to most of us. The idea is you practice shooting at a target. So see, you understand that. And in doing so, you learn a lot of things. You learn about yourself. You sharpen your skills. You learn about your weapon and you keep asking yourself, you measure yourself. Did I get closer to the bullseye this time than I did last time? Am I improving at hitting the target? And here's the thing. The things you learn in target practice, you apply elsewhere. The things you learn in practice, in target practice, you apply elsewhere. You shoot arrows at a target, but then in the woods, you aim at a deer or a turkey or or whatever other game you're hunting. You practice music maybe in your basement by yourself, but then you perform with a band and other instruments on a stage with, with equipment and under lights and with an audience. It's a different environment. You practice sports in a gym or on a football field and you do drills and you run exercises and more drills, but then you compete against another team and you take these drills and you try to execute them so you can hopefully score points and and, and win the game. Well, this morning we're going to begin a six-week series on the focal character of our vacation Bible school this year. You see the signs around the decorations when you walked in. It may have looked a little different today. That's because tomorrow starts vacation Bible school. We're taking a trip to Egypt to learn about Joseph. And so we're going to do a series uh, on Sunday mornings about Joseph as well. Joseph was a man who spent some time in target practice with the target that Joseph was aiming for being God's will and God's plan for his life. And you see, Joseph learned how to walk with God. And walking with God prepared him to accomplish God's will as the prime minister, the second in command over all of Egypt. And you see, Pharaoh had more authority than Joseph in Egypt, but I would argue that no one had more influence than Joseph over all of Egypt. And that was because Joseph didn't seek to live his life just for himself, but he was living his life in God's will and according to God's plan for his life. And here's what I want you to take away from this series over the course of the next few weeks. If God's will is the target of your life, then you need to walk with God today to find his will for tomorrow. Walk with God today to find his will for tomorrow. And we're going to see this fleshed out in Joseph's life over the next six weeks. But let me kind of uh, set up what I'm talking about for you. I think you understand the concept, and you certainly will as we go through this. I think many believers, we kind of walk through the the, the road of life or the path of life, and and we don't think a whole lot about God's will. I mean, every once in a while, we'll throw up a prayer, and something will go on, and we'll think about God's will, and we kind of aim, and we just sort of haphazardly shoot, and, you know, we get somewhere in there. But then we come to a fork in the road. There's a path, and we have to decide which path we're going down. And then God's will gets really important for us. Don't worry, I'm not going to poke my eye out. You guys are going, oh, this will be fun today. Uh, But uh, we we kind of think about God's will. You know, where am I going to go to college? I mean, that comes a big decision for students. Where am I going to go to college? And we want to make sure in this decision, we're getting closer to the bullseye here. We want to be in God's will. Lord, what's your will? Where do I go to college? 
And then we're going to get married, and we want to make sure we hit the, the bullseye for marriage, right? And, you know, who do I marry? And we face all these decisions, and then we start facing health issues as you get older, and you face medication, and am I going to start exercising and changing my diet, or am I just going to take the pill and eat what I want, you know, and not exercise? So we're faced with these decisions. Uh, do we start a family? You know, where do we send our kids to school when we start that family? When do we start letting them date and all these things? And then they go off to college and... Then we asked, do we want to let them move back in after college? They haven't found a job yet. And uh, then, then we deal with retirement down the road for us. You know, am I going to retire? Can I make it on retirement income? And we face all these decisions, and we really start thinking, because these are big decisions. God, what is your will for my life? And God, I want to be in your will. But here's the thing. If we will walk in the center of God's will today, and really, we shouldn't think about big decisions and little decisions Because if we're walking in the center of God's will today in everything that we do, then we're going to be in the center of God's will tomorrow when we have those choices to make. When we have these decisions that are before us, God will guide and direct us to the center of his will as we're walking with him today. So the question for us then becomes, well, what is God's will for me today? And that is the right question. That's exactly the right question for us to ask. And I think that the answer will surprise you and amaze you with its simplicity. But the power of God working through the lessons that you learn from God as you walk with him day in and day out will radically change your life. And just as with any other kind of target practice, when you are walking in God's will today, you will take the lessons that you learn from God today and tomorrow, and this week, and you'll be able to apply those to the decisions and the choices that you make as you journey through life, walking with God along the way. So with that in mind, turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. And then go ahead and mark your spot, and here in a few minutes, we're going to flip back to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 41, then back to Genesis 37, where we're going to meet our focal character for today. But as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have any of you ever been out driving, those of you who can drive, and you've taken a turn on a road and you didn't really know where you were going? You you kind of got lost and you're in unfamiliar territory driving down these roads and then all of a sudden you come to an end of road or you make a turn and you look around and you realize you're somewhere familiar. You know where you are now. You were lost for a few minutes, but you come out and go, oh, I know where this is. Have you ever had that happen to you? Well, when you do that, the unfamiliar brings you to the familiar. Now, are there any others of you who you kind of like to explore? If you're out, you'll take new roads and new routes just to find new ways around. Any of you kind of like to do that? I enjoy doing that. And we'll be out sometimes. We'll go to, we've been going to Richmond or some different areas around Colonial Heights. And Shelly will say, how did you get here? I, I don't know where we are. And then all of a sudden we show up. She goes, I know where this is. How did you know to do this? Well, I knew to do that because one day I was out driving and I thought, I'm going to take this road and see where it goes. You, you can always backtrack, you know, and go back that route. So I do that. I like to explore. And when we do those things, what is unfamiliar becomes familiar to us. If I've been there, I can go back that way again, and I'm familiar. I'm not lost anymore. Now I know where I'm going. How many others of you have ever been to a place and your destination, you traveled through some places that really surprised you to get to your destination. For example, I was reading on Facebook a few weeks ago and someone uh, had been in Kentucky and they said they went to visit Churchill Downs where the Kentucky Derby is held every year. And they said they were surprised by the area surrounding Churchill Downs. 
because they had watched the Derby. Uh, and if you've ever watched the Derby, there's much pageantry and the rich and famous people from all over the world come in with their big hats and their fancy dresses and all this kind of stuff. And uh, everybody wants to be there for the fastest two minutes in sports. And so you would watch that on television. And they said they thought that Churchill Downs, where the Derby is run, would be in this lush area of Kentucky, these green rolling hills and big, huge horse farms and fences and all that. But when they went to Churchill Downs, they found that wasn't the case at all. Because if you've ever been to Churchill Downs, you know that it's in an impoverished, crime-ridden part of Louisville, Kentucky, that one weekend a year turns into this high-end tourist destination. But the other 363 days of a year, it sits like a prestigious island in the middle of a destitute and deteriorating sea of houses and businesses. You see, sometimes we find the beautiful only after we travel through that which is unattractive and appealing. And I want you to look with me in Genesis 41, verse 46. It's a great verse. It says in verse 46 of Genesis 41, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, when you read that verse, do you see the sovereignty and the power and the purposes of God just bursting forth in that sentence? Probably not. You probably look at it and you would generally skim over that verse thinking that it's background information, it's just a small detail, and we wouldn't think a whole lot about it. But I want you to know that that verse illustrates today's key principle, which is part of the foundation. It's a fundamental concept of what it means for us to walk with God today. And the principle is this. Walk with God and you'll be there when you're ready. Walk with God and you'll be there when you're ready. Now, you may be scratching your head going, I don't get it. I'll be where? How will I know when I'm ready? Curtis, did you hit your head this week? You're not making sense. You know, we're not following along. You look at that verse and go, I don't get it from that verse. Well, turn back to Genesis chapter 37 with me and see if I can help clear this up and help you understand what we're talking about and what we see in Joseph's life. Joseph's father was a man named Jacob, and his name meant chiseler or schemer. And that was an appropriate description of Jacob. He was a schemer. One of the things that Joseph did in his life was he stole by tricking his own father. He stole his older brother's birthright, his right to an inheritance and more financial wealth and stability. He stole his his brother's birthright. Well, as you might imagine, his brother didn't like the fact that he was deceived or his father was deceived and he lost his birthright. So in his heart, the Bible says that he consoled himself by thinking about how he was going to kill Jacob for stealing his birthright. Well, Jacob and Jacob's mother thought it may be good for him to relocate to a different zip code in order to stay alive. And so Jacob did. He traveled away so that his brother wouldn't kill him when his father passed away. And in this distant land, this Jacob fell in love with a beautiful young lady named Rachel. And he agreed to work for her father for seven years to be able to buy her hand in marriage. And on their wedding night... Uh, Joseph was married, and he, he uh, went into the tent to consummate the marriage, and J- uh, Rachel's father pulled the old switcheroo. He sent her older, slightly less attractive sister Leah into the tent with Jacob. 
Well, the next morning, the schemer found out he had gotten schemed, all right? I mean, you imagine that surprise, man. You wake up the next day and say, you're not the right lady, all right? But Jacob loved Rachel so much that he worked another seven years to be able to marry her properly this time. The Bible doesn't say it, but I bet he took a lantern into that tent on that second wedding night. I'm just speculating there, but but this ain't going down again, I'm telling you that. But his love for Rachel was so strong that he worked this extra time and he loved her more than he loved Leah. But the Bible says Rachel was unable to bear children, whereas Leah gave birth to many children. To make a long story not as long, uh, Leah gave birth to six sons and one daughter. One of her maidservants uh, gave Jacob two more sons for a total of eight and one daughter. Rachel's maidservants gave him two more sons for a total of ten now. And then finally, God blessed Rachel, and she was able to give birth to a son. And they named that son Joseph. He was the firstborn son of the favored wife. And later, Rachel was able to give birth to another son, but she died during childbirth. And so that's how Joseph came to be a part of a large family. Later, his father Jacob would wrestle with God, and God would change his name to Israel, which means God strives. And Israel's 12 sons would come to be known as the 12 tribes of Israel, both the man and the nation that God would bless and call his own in future generations. And so you see how the history of that comes to be through Jacob with Joseph being one of his sons. Now, because Jacob loved Rachel so much, uh, he favored her two sons, especially Joseph. And in Genesis 32, I'm sorry, verse thir- chapter 37, verse 2, we see this. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flocks with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to, of them to their father. So Joseph cattled on his brothers while they were out tending the sheep in the fields. Now, Jacob's boys, to put it nicely, were a handful. Uh, In a lot of ways, they were a chip off the old block. And for all intents and purposes, Jacob uh, was an absent dad in in the lives of his children and in the example that he set and the things that that he didn't do and instill in his sons. So verse 3 continues the story and says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers... They hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. So his father's favoritism caused his his brothers to despise him. And Joseph didn't help his case by being a tattletale. You know, he was the favorite son and going ratting his brothers out. That didn't sit too well with them. But here we see where Joseph gets his their vision. I told you, walk with God, and you'll be there when you're ready. Well, where is there? Where was there for Joseph? God gives Joseph this vision, this dream about what he wanted to do in and through Joseph's life. The dream happens in verse 5, but in verse 7, he shares this dream with his brothers. Look at what he tells them. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Well, as you might imagine, Joseph telling his brothers that he dreamt they were all going to bow down to him one day didn't sit too well. In verse 8, you'll see their response. 
His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, many of us would say, Ugh, they didn't respond to that well. Maybe I should learn a lesson from that and uh, kind of keep some things to myself, all right? But we'll see that Joseph didn't get that lesson right away. Verse 9, he has another dream, and he shares this uh, with his family as well. It says, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. You see the there, this dream, this vision that God had given him of what Joseph was going to do for God and his service to him? was a place that one day his family would come and bow down to him. It was, it was a dream that came from God. This, this dream, this vision came from God himself, and Joseph was excited about it, and he went and he shared it with his family. And here's what we need to recognize at, at the outset of this message today. If you are going to be where God wants you to be, be certain that the dream or the vision you are striving for comes from him. If you're going to be where God wants you to be in the center of his will, be sure the dream or the vision that you're working, that you're striving for, is one that comes from God himself. Because here's the thing. We can have dreams and visions about a whole lot of things that don't come from God and that don't bring glory and honor to God. And you know what? We can work hard and we can put some effort into and we can actually cause some of these things to come to fruition. We can live out these dreams and these visions and these things that we want to do and be outside of God's will. And if we're outside of God's will, we're outside the scope of his greatest blessings and his presence and his power and his leadership in our lives. So we want to be sure, we're going back to, we want to be sure that this dream or this vision comes from God because we don't want to get outside of God's will and outside the scope of his blessing and his presence and his power in our lives. Well, let me just quickly paraphrase the rest of Genesis 37, and then we'll look at a couple of things here. Jacob one day sent Joseph to check on his brothers. They were out moving the, the flocks to greener fields, and Jacob said, why don't you go check on your brothers and bring me back a report? Now, the last time that happened, it didn't turn out so well for Joseph. So this time his brother saw him coming in his coat of many colors. And scholars tell us it was a long coat with flowing arms and went down to his ankles, basically saying Jacob, or Joseph didn't work like all of his brothers did. He, he was very pampered uh, in his family. So they see him coming in his coat of many colors. And you know what they said? Let's kill him. That's what they said. We are going to kill him because we can't stand him. But Reuben, the oldest son, said, no, let's not kill him. He is one of our brothers. And, and he had a plan. He was going to rescue Joseph later. So what they did is they grabbed him. They beat him up a little bit. They roughed him up. They took his robe and they tore it and they tossed him in a well. And they were so callous and cold in their hearts. that You know what they did while Joseph is in the well? They sat down and had dinner. Let's eat and let's talk about what we're going to do to him while he's down there in the well. And as they're eating, it just so happens that a band of nomads is on their way to Egypt. And they say, hey. Let's sell him as a slave, and they'll take him off to Egypt, and we will never see him again. It'll be awesome. Out of sight, out of mind. And then we'll make Dad think that 
he was killed. And so they did. They sold Joseph, Joseph as a sl- slave, and they took his robe. They killed a goat. They dipped it in that blood, and they went home, and they said, Father, we found this. It was torn. It was bloody. Was this your son's robe? And, and, and Jacob thought his son had been killed by wild animals. Out of sight, out of mind, end of story, end of Joseph in their minds. But Genesis 37 ends with these words. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Joseph had a pretty rough start in life. His mother died when he was young. He had an absent dad. His brothers despised him. He didn't have a whole lot of maturity or tact about him. Wisdom as a young man, as evidenced by by tattling on his brothers and then blurting out his dreams without thinking about how they would be received. He barely missed being killed by his own brothers, his own flesh and blood. And instead of being killed, they just sell him into slavery. And he winds up in Egypt as a slave working for this man named Potiphar. And we'll see that it actually gets a little bit worse. He goes from living in Potiphar's house as a slave into being a prisoner in an Egyptian prison. So, I mean, the trajectory of Joseph's life is not great. The foundation and the start is not what any of us would envy. I mean, even if you want to put yourself in this story, go, ooh, sign me up for that. No, we wouldn't desire those things. And I can imagine that on numerous occasions, Joseph may have thought, what is going on? This isn't how it was supposed to work out. I was dad's favorite. I was the favorite child. I had the robe. I had the accolades. Everybody was jealous and envious of me. God told me that my family was going to come and they were going to bow down to me one day. But now I'm a slave. Now I'm a prisoner in Egypt. This isn't the there I had in mind. It wasn't supposed to work out this way. Is this some kind of joke? I mean, has God forsaken me and just, just abandoned me? What is going on? But here's what we need to understand. At the age of 17, Joseph wasn't ready to accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish. He was 17 when we see these things taking place. You remember the verse earlier about him being 30 as he entered into Pharaoh's service. At the age of 17, he didn't have the maturity. He didn't have the knowledge. He didn't have the training or the dependence upon God that he needed. If you'll notice as you go back and look, and you can read all of Genesis 37, we don't see anything in Joseph's early years about his faith in God. We don't see his father speaking of his faith. We don't see them talking about prayer or or anything along those lines. Now, I think there were elements of that that was there, that Jacob spoke of his story, why his name was changed, and I'm sure he shared some of those. and, And he spoke of what God had done in his life, but his example... Uh, And and the lack of teachings that were there, uh, we just don't see it being a good foundation in the lives of his sons uh, and in his family. And Joseph didn't get to hear the stories about Moses and about Samuel and about Elijah and about David or, or some of those other great pillars of the Old Testament. You know why? They hadn't been born yet. All right, Joseph was before all of those guys because God was still revealing himself to his people. He was building the people he was going to call his own, the nation of Israel, who was Joseph's dad. So Joseph, in many ways, had to find his own way in his spiritual growth and his development and in his relationship and his dependence upon God. He hadn't had that example and someone pouring that into him. But somewhere between the age of 17 and the age of 30... Joseph began to walk closely 
with God. And I want you to understand that no matter where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you, you are of great worth. You are of great value and usefulness to God and his kingdom. He loves you and he wants his will. He wants his plan and his purposes to be lived out in your life. You matter to God. He loves you and he wants to use you for his way and for his kingdom. Here's a $100 bill. I'm going to give this away this morning. Right now. Who says it doesn't pay to come to church? This is a $100 bill. How many of you would like a $100 bill? Sweet. Sign me up. Well, you know what? You don't want this $100 bill if I do this, do you? Yeah, take that. Now who wants a $100 bill? Oh, you're still raising your hands. All right. What if I do this? Oh, if I catch it. Yeah. Anybody still want a $100 bill? You people are crazy. I just stomped on this thing. I'll show you. If I can unwad it. Oh, I did spit on it too. That's the real deal right there. Anybody still want a $100 bill? You all are nasty. You would take a, a crumpled, stomped on, spit upon $100 bill? Yeah, you've washed money before, haven't you? You know that it goes through the washer, through the dryer, comes out crispy on the other side, don't you? Yeah, you all know. Oh, right here. He's on his hands and knees. He's diving under that pew. (laughs) Now, you all are going, I'm coming back the second hour, and I'm figuring out which section to sit in. That's right. That's the most expensive sermon illustration I've ever given in my life. Here's the point. You are valuable to God. It doesn't matter how crumpled up, how beat down, how stomped on, how spit upon you feel. God loves you. He has an incredible plan for your life. He wants to do great and marvelous things in your life. And if you will place your faith and your trust in him, and trust him in every area and every situation of your life, then he will take you to the there that he wants for your life. He will use you in ways you can't even begin to imagine. Joseph was crumpled, he was stomped upon, he was spit upon, forgotten by his family and the rest of the world as he worked as a slave and a prisoner in Egypt. He was in a place that was unfamiliar. He was in a place that was unattractive. And we've been to those places, we've been in those situations that are unfamiliar, that make us feel lost, that make us feel lonely, that make us feel insecure. Those places that are unattractive and unappealing and disappointing and frustrating, they make us feel hopeless. They cause us to feel lonely. And that's where Joseph found himself. Joseph wasn't ready at the age of 17 to be there, so God took him through what was unfamiliar to bring him to the familiar in his will and his plan for Joseph's life. God brought Joseph through the unattractive places to a place that was beautiful. I mean, he lived in the palace of Pharaoh, the ruler of all Egypt, the dominant world power in that time. But most importantly, Joseph found himself in the center of God's will 
And I'll tell you, there is no more beautiful place than living your life in the center of God's will, being who God has called you to be, doing what God has called you to do. And just because you aren't there right now doesn't mean you can't or won't be where God wants you to be in the future. But you need to realize this. You will not get there until you're ready. You're not going to get there until you're ready. And God may take you on a route and on a path very different from the one that you would choose in your mind or that you would set out for yourself. But on the way, God will teach you things. He will teach you things about life. God will teach you things about yourself. But most importantly, God will teach you things about himself that will prepare you and equip you to be the, in the there that he has in store for your life. Any of you ever bake anything? You take and you put the stuff in a bowl and you mix up all the ingredients and then you bake it. When you don't bake something long enough, what's it like? It's gooey and it's thick and it's mushy and you go... This isn't done. Give me some milk. Yeah, it's not ready. You ever bake something too long? What happens to it? It's dry, brittle, crusty, hard to chew because you're going, oh, my crown came loose, you know. We've baked it too long. Well, what's the difference in those things? You put all the ingredients in a bowl, you mix them up, and then you don't bake it long enough. You bake it too long. It doesn't turn out right. If you bake it just right, it's ready, it's delicious, it's wonderful. Joseph had all the ingredients to be the leader that God wanted him to be at the age of 17, but they hadn't baked long enough. And so God turned up the heat in Joseph's life. And and Joseph grew to be one of the greatest leaders in the entire Bible. And he was the hinge. Get this, Joseph was the hinge upon which the history of the salvation of mankind would turn upon Joseph and his life and his work. He set things in place that God would one day send his son to redeem and die for the sins of the world that people could become the child of God. It swings on Joseph being in the center of God's will and doing what he called him to do. Jesus was an Israelite from the nation of Israel, descended from the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 sons of Israel. And what Joseph did was prepare the way for God's people to be in Egypt, to be delivered from Egypt through the Passover, where the Passover lambs would die, foreshadowing Jesus' death for all mankind. It's amazing how pivotal Joseph's life was according to the will and the plan of God. He had all the ingredients, but he needed God to prepare and to bake those things to produce his wonderful, his pleasing, his perfect will in, Jacob, in Joseph's life. So now you may be thinking, well, when will I know that I'm ready? All right, I'll be there. I understand. I'll be there. I'll be in God's will when I'm ready. Well, how do I know when I'm ready? The answer, you won't. How's that for encouragement today? Great. You told me I don't know where the will's going to be. I don't know when I'm ready. Awesome. Why even bother, you know? We won't know when we're ready. But when you look through Scripture, some of the most well-known men in the Bible and their families and their peers didn't think those men had the right stuff to be used by God. Moses stuttered and said, Lord, I I can't go and and, and get Pharaoh to let those people go. I, I can't talk well. Gideon was afraid of his own shadow. 
yet went and led the people to, to, uh, to be delivered from, from their enemies in the promised land. Jonah was defiant. The Lord said, I want you to go here. Jonah said, okay, see you later. I'm off this way. Talk about God's will. God said, Jonah, I want you to be here. Jonah's like, uh-uh, I'm way, way over here. He was defiant, yet God used him to deliver his message and bring repentance to an entire city. Jesus' disciples were unschooled, uneducated fishermen. They weren't great orators and great speakers and great leaders. These weren't men that you or I would have looked to when choosing leaders. And we wouldn't have known when they were ready to do what the Bible says they did for God and his will and his kingdom and his plan in the hearts and lives of people. We wouldn't have known that. How did those men know that they were ready? They didn't. They argued with God and said, Lord, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. But you know what? God knew when they were ready. And if you walk with God, he'll know when you're ready. And when you're ready, he will bring his dream. He will bring that vision that he's placed in your heart to pass in your life. He will lead, guide, and direct you to do all that he wants you to do for him and for his kingdom. So I challenge you this morning, walk with God regardless of where it may take you. It doesn't matter how unfamiliar the territory is to you. God knows where he's going, and he knows how to get you there as well. So trust him. Walk with him and follow his leadership and his promptings in your life. And remember, as you walk with God, that what you learn on the way will be what you need when you get there. Joseph managed Potiphar's household. He learned to manage people, to plan, to prepare, to oversee the work that was taking place on this farm with servants and, and finances and all these things. He managed Potiphar's household. Then he wound up in prison. Well, in prison, uh, Joseph got to see what it's like when people are in despair, when they're despondent, when they feel hopeless, and he saw how, the, how they fleshed those things out. Those things prepared Joseph to be the prime minister in Egypt because a great famine would come. And so Joseph prepared the people for famine, and he knew what the people would be tempted to do when they didn't have food, when they didn't have money, when they couldn't provide for their families. He knew what they were capable of, and so he prepared them to be able to give them hope and to provide for them in those times of great famine. He learned invaluable lessons as a slave and as a prisoner, and you will learn invaluable lessons as you follow God in the paths that he takes you, even if those paths are difficult and hard for you to understand why you're there. Walk with God regardless of how difficult it may be. I want you to understand, Joseph's 13-year journey was not a 13-year leadership seminar on a Caribbean island at the Four Seasons. All right, that's not what he did for 13 years. He was a slave and a prisoner. Those are not fun places to be ever in the history of mankind, but particularly in ancient days. You had no rights People didn't care if you lived or if you died. You were a servant. You were a prisoner. You meant nothing to so many people. It wasn't a fun time for Joseph for those 13 years. But the suffering and the hardship and the trials and the adversity helped him mature and learn and increase his dependence upon God. And that's what God wants to teach you through difficulties and through your times of trial. He wants you to mature. He wants you to learn. He wants to increase your dependence upon him. This morning, I don't know where you may be on your journey with God. I don't know what dream God has placed in your heart or in your spirit, but I would tell you this morning, don't give up on it. Don't 
give up. Because if God has given you that dream or that vision and it's his plan for you, then that dream is still alive. Then that dream is still alive. Maybe it's a dream of being a wife or a husband or a parent. Don't give up if God's placed that in your heart and in your spirit. Maybe it's a career or professional dream that that feels far away. Maybe it's for a ministry or, or, or a call that once felt so strong and powerful, but now feels like only a distant memory. If God has placed it in your heart, don't give up on it. You may today be going through your time of maturing and developing where God is preparing you to turn his vision for your life into a reality. Do what Joseph did and draw close to God. Learn to walk with him. This time of growth and development may mean that God's taking you on an unfamiliar path and through some difficult times. I would challenge you to trust him even in the midst of that. Walk with God and trust him. Trust him uh, that he is building things into your life and teaching you lessons in this season that are going to prepare you for what lies ahead as he begins to unfold his dream and his vision in your life. The takeaway that I want you to have for this morning and for this series as a whole is to understand the importance of walking with God. Joseph could have responded in a number of ways, but he remembered the God that his father had spoken of. He cried out to that God, and he sought to live his life in obedience to God. Today, you may have never entered into and given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ to make him your Savior and Lord. You see, the Bible says that because of our sin, we are separated from God. And if we die with those sins still counted against us, which we should because they're our sins then we're eternally separated from God because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means both a physical and a spiritual death. So we're separated from him. But Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life. He could have gone straight to heaven because he was perfect. He was without sin. But instead of doing that, he died as our substitute. He died in our place to pay the price for our sins. And not only did Jesus take away our sins, those that were counted to us, the Bible says he gave to us, it was credited to us, his righteousness, his perfection. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't just see a clean slate that we're forgiven of our sins, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And today, you can be saved from your sins, you can become a child of God, and you can begin to walk with God as Joseph did. You do that by admitting to God that you've sinned and by turning away from that sin and then believing that Jesus died for you and inviting Christ to come in and forgive you of your sins and take control of your life. That's what it means to make him your Lord. And the Bible says that when you do that, he will enter into your life in the form of the Holy Spirit and he will lead you, he will guide you, he will direct you in all that you do. He will help you discover and live out God's will in your life. So if you've never made that decision to be forgiven of your sins and to give Christ control of your life, would you do that today and begin walking with him? In whatever situation you may find yourself in today, would you surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ? In just a moment, in our time of invitation, our our staff pastors will be here. We would love to talk with you and, and help you pray to place your faith and your trust in Christ and begin your journey with him. 
There may be other decisions that you need to make this morning, maybe to follow in believers' baptism. We saw five this morning who made their public profession of faith that they've died to their old sin nature and been resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. So maybe you need to come and follow in believers' baptism or simply to unite with our church in formal membership through transfer of letter from another church or a statement of faith saying you've trusted in Christ and have been baptized by immersion. Maybe there's a call to ministry that God's placed on your heart and you want to surrender today and say, Lord, I want this dream, I want this vision that you've placed within me to become a reality. Or you may want to just come this morning and spend some time praying at the altar. As is always the case at our church, our altar is open and you're welcome to come and just pray and pour your heart out to God about the things going on in your life as you're walking with him. Maybe you're in unfamiliar territory and you want to ask God to guide you through it. Maybe this morning you're in a difficult situation or set of circumstances and you want to pray and ask God to give you the strength to get through these difficult days and these hard times and to help you learn the lessons that he wants you to learn in this season of your life. But the altar is open and God hears the heart's cry of his children. So feel free to come this morning and and pour your heart out to him if you need to respond in that way today. But if God has spoken to your heart and you need to respond in some way, then we'll begin our invitation You just come as God leads you. Don't wait on anybody else and don't worry about what anybody else thinks. This is between you and God. But I would ask each of us this morning during our time of invitation to make a firm commitment in our heart and in our life to walk with God so that we'll be there when we're ready. And when you walk with God today, he will show you his will for today. And in his time, And according to his plan and his purpose, he'll prepare you and he will show you what to do according to his will tomorrow. Because our hope, our heart's prayer is this morning, Lord, I want to be in the center of your will. So whatever it takes, Lord, for me to get rid of, to do away with, that I can be here. Lord, may your will be done in my life today so that my life will be in the center of your will. Let's pray.